everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, recruiting, basketball, hockey, and, and some other stuff sprinkled in. Of course, you can always read our stuff. We write a lot more than we do podcasts at uh, themichiganinsider.com, uh, wolverine247.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Uh, it, I think it all redirects to the same page. But anyways, I'm your host, Zach Shaw, Steve Lorenz, and Isaiah Hole on the phones as they always are. And and this is kind of our last one. I think after this, it's going to be mostly football and recruiting. Uh, this one, because basketball ended on Monday and hockey is playing Thursday night, which is tonight when we record this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to probably focus on those two things first. We will have football at the end. I will not end the show early like I did last week before we actually get the football. Uh, we're going to have it. But first, uh, let's talk some basketball. One, one final time, I think, this season. And, and, and for those that uh, you probably all know, hopefully, hopefully you have heard that Michigan made it to the uh, NCAA championship game. They played Villanova. Uh, an all-time A-plus team with like four NBA players uh, at least, and then a lot of them as veterans. I don't know. I think Beeline was remarking that Villanova has seven players who somehow redshirted, including three top 100 recruits. So a very, very, very good Villanova team, uh, to, to, in my opinion. You know, haven't seen them live a couple times, and and I mean they blew everybody out. They blew Michigan out, and so for Steve and Isaiah, you know, we can talk about the run. You can talk about the game, whatever you want to do. I guess your final, final thoughts on on Michigan basketball season. Um, uh, we'll go. We'll go with Isaiah first. I guess what's what's sticking out in your mind? We're we're a few days removed from that from that championship game loss, uh, but what's still sticking out in your mind? Well, it's hard not to be really just in many ways overjoyed with the run that they did have. I think back to where we were a few short months ago talking about which you know which team had the bigger upside the basketball team or the the football team and uh, <laughs> I know that I answered football and but at that time it was still you know Michigan at that time was still considered to be something of a bubble team I mean we none of us thought that they were a bubble team but right nationally that's what the thought was is that they were they were on the edge they had some really good wins at that point obviously they had beaten Michigan State uh, they were going you know going to beat them again they were going to beat Purdue they were going to you know go forward do do some things not too long after that conversation but it's I know it's it's easy to feel a little down after that national championship game the way that that went uh the the flow of that game really kind of left you demoralized if you were rooting for Michigan uh especially considering the way that Michigan started Michigan started about what you'd expect them how you would expect them to uh, being able to get up that that 21-14 lead, and it felt like they were going to take it to a, to another level. And then Villanova did what Villanova does to everyone. And looking back now, a few days removed, it's you can't help but just say like, all right, well, that's just what Villanova does. That's what Villanova was doing to everyone. That's what they did to everyone in the tournament. Michigan was no different. Um, and it took an all-time performance by. A bench player, although I think he put you know out. He's a he's a very a he would start for, for everyone but Villanova, I think. Exactly, Vincenzo, you know, I, Yeah, I, I saw some the early early tournament uh, Villanova games, and uh, Divincenzo was the guy that I had kind of singled out as the guy you had to stop 
just mm-hmm. as much as Jalen Brunson. And obviously they did a great job on Brunson. <laughs> and DiVincenzo, you couldn't do much better on him than they did it sometimes. They had a guy in his face and he's pulling up for a 30-footer and just drains it. It's, there's nothing you can do about that, really. Mm-hmm. So it's I think as, as if you're a Michigan fan, you've just got to be overjoyed at the direction of the program, how the season not necessarily ended with that national championship game, but the fact that they made it that far. I don't I don't buy into that whole easy path, whatever. Villanova had the easy, easiest path in the tournament until they faced Kansas at that point as far as getting to the Final Four. Uh-uh. Uh, they, they, had, they had Texas Tech, or not, yeah, they had Texas Tech, and then they had this, uh, West this Virginia. Per five, this is per 538. Uh, 538 said that they had a slightly easier path uh, to get there, uh, according to strength of schedule, uh, it must have been because it must have been weighted down by the 16 seed and the mm-hmm. and the eight seed. Anyway, continue. So that's uh to me to me there you know the fact that you if you get there that's all that matters. Michigan belongs. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, it's just rival you know sour rival fans that are you know perpetuating the that maybe they didn't. So mm-hmm. I just look at it as. It, what a great success, and especially considering this class that Michigan has coming in. I, I, I can't imagine being anything less than elated if you're a Michigan fan, and hopefully you see the returns that happen with the fan base filling up Chrysler like after the 2012-2013 no, season. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see about the fans. I believe I will double-check uh, in, in a couple weeks, but I believe the attendance actually – fell again this season because you know they lost a couple star players people were down on it and there was another team that bloomed late but we'll talk about next season and and the future in a moment steve uh you know i remember we did i mean isaiah kind of touched on it we did these podcasts all winter and we constantly were like oh do we need to reset the expectations for this team in a good way right or in a in a in a way that suggested that they were ascending you know thinking oh and we talked about how they were january february team well, they ended up being a March team and also an April team. I guess your thoughts on this run and how things finished for the Wolverines. I think it finished finished pretty well. Uh, you can't really, I, I, I guess, you know, a, a second, finishing in second uh, is a great accomplishment. I still, and Villanova, obviously the better team uh, on Monday night, still can't help but be a little bit frustrated about the way that game did play out, though. Uh if you, if you had told me that they'd slow Brunson and Spellman down as much as they did and that they get beat by 17 still, uh, I think you have to be at least a little bit disappointed. Uh, DiVincenzo, obviously a, an elite player, but you know 31 points on 10 to 15 shooting is just uh, an all-world. You know, it's like after what Luke Hancock did in, to, the, to them in 2013, you almost feel snake-bitten about guys coming off the bench and just having the game of their lives against, against Michigan in a big spot. So um, really almost in a way, you'd rather they'd have had two or three guys start out all right instead of one guy because really you, it, was, it was so obvious. You know, He hits a couple outside shots. Michigan's got to respect his ability on the perimeter. They have to come out and play a little bit further. Leaves the lane wide open. I mean, it was just simple basketball at that point. So, uh, you know, in that regard, I think a little bit frustrating. Also a little bit frustrating that, it, you know, the, we talked about it before. The difference is like, you know, I would not argue that Michigan's offense played poorly in that game. I would just argue that Michigan missed a lot of open shots. There's a huge difference. 
Yes. Uh, I thought, oh, I thought yeah. It's like right? uh, thought... it's kind of like a football team that like has red poor red zone efficiency. It doesn't mean like they're bad offense. They might just get into the. I, it's one of those things where it's like once you it, you, you can't do much more than create the open shot, like you said. And that that just comes right. down to execution a little bit. And and they did, and they but they couldn't hit. And I think. Um, Given that it kind of had felt like that they were due for a good shooting performance, I think it's. I think there's still, yeah. Despite the success in the relative sense of the, uh, how the season ended up, I don't think anybody saw them making this run, even a month ago, a couple months ago, or whatever. Um, you know, still can be disappointed though in the way the game played out. Knowing, I mean, they were couple a couple points in the second half. You're another shot away from making it a game, and then you got a guy who's just dropping bombs from like six feet behind the three-point line it's just kind of demoralizing a little bit there uh you know and 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 bridges like hitting a couple like just weird like fade away like fading to the left like three point just shots that you wouldn't normally see go in uh you know in, in a in a college basketball game uh, again speaks a lot to how talented and and good Villanova is but you know there's a little bit of a what might have been um in that regard, but at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing is that Michigan couldn't hit shots. I think that's what hurt them more than anything. So more yeah. than defense, uh, more than any player on their team, I think it was that they just couldn't hit open shots. Uh, would have made, you know, how many and ones did they have that rolled out, you know, as well. So um, a little bit of a disappointment, but obviously, yeah, I mean, the future is bright as heck. The recruiting class they have coming in is maybe their best on paper. We'll see if it turns out to be as good as the thirteen guys were but on paper it might be the best that beeline's brought in so uh, great season overall obviously and uh really the legacy these seniors left pretty strong i mean two big back-to-back big 10 tournament championships uh this tournament being worth more than in recent years because of the unbalanced schedule in a way i think winning the tournament more impressive than winning the regular season title when you look at you know who michigan state didn't play in the regular season and uh so these guys kind of quietly have left a, a really nice legacy of their own, in my opinion, with with Rockman and, and Robinson. And, and, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, it sounds like someone's got some got a TV on or something. So I'll talk while they while they figure their their things out. But uh, as far as my thoughts and and I, you know, it's one of those things where when you go and you follow them and you're there and you're kind of talking to them. You know, I feel like this this year I got to understand how Beeline works and why the Beeline way works uh, more than more than before, and it really is something impressive. I mean, how how prepared they are, how relentless Beeline is, and and for those that I mean, like I think there are some casual fans who hear this and that about Beeline being so great in March or. Beeline being hard to play on one, you know, on on a one day turnaround or things like that, and they might think, oh, okay, whatever. Why isn't every coach like that, or or just something like that? But it really was uh, remarkable to me. And and by the way, as far as overall season, yeah, if they if they bring home two banners in a year, that is a fantastic, you know, one. I mean, maybe there'll be more down the road, but in my eyes, a fantastic one of a kind season. For Michigan, I don't actually know the last time they did bring home two banners in one season because it seemed like, you know, last year they got the uh, the Big Ten tournament. In 2014, they got the Big Ten regular season, could not close in either postseason. 
in 2013, they didn't get the regular season. They got the Final Four. And then in 2012, they just got the conference. And then they didn't have any banners for like, you know, if you if you until the final until the Fab Five. And if you don't want to count those until the 80s. So so it's, you know, as far as exceeding expectations, as far as winning, winning the big ones, uh, this is one of Michigan's best seasons ever in that regard. And, and, And technically they won 33 games. So in that regard, it was the best season ever. They won the they beat uh uh the Fab Five and and the 2012-2013 team. They each had 31 wins. Michigan this season had 33. So objectively, wildly successful, historically successful. But but to me, what stands out a couple days later, and I I think I'm gonna have a story on this this weekend, kind of looking into because right now Michigan since 2013 or I guess since 2012, if you include 2013, they have been to the most championship games, the most final fours, the most elite eights, the most sweet 16s. And, and they have 15, they're 15 and five in the NCAA tournament, 15 and five. And they've produced six NBA uh, first round draft picks. They've produced, you know, eight or nine NBA players. I mean, this is this is unreal what they are doing, you know. And and by the way, the the six NBA first round picks, fourth in the country. The nine NBA players, I would have to double check. I'm pretty sure that's fourth in the country. So you're talking about Michigan has been one of the top, you know, one, two, three, or four teams in the country the past six years. Like this this Michigan team that was you know had fans. Uh, torch and pitchforking ready for beeline to go. And I, and we don't need to rehash that, but I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where it, it kind of sneaks up on you, right? Like you're looking around and all of a sudden they, he did it again. Beeline did it again with a completely different group. You know, this final four team is different than the past Michigan final four teams because all of those teams had lottery picks, you know, Rudy T, Cassie Russell, uh, Glenn Rice, you know, the fab five, Trey Burke, Nick Stauskas, I can't remember who it was in in the 70 was it 76 run. I can't remember who was the first round pick that that year, but still, it was somebody it was picked in the top 10. I don't know if they have a lottery pick or a top, you know, 20 NBA draft pick on this team. And and all those other teams, they were ranked ahead of the season. This team was ranked 39th. They had 6 votes in the AP poll. And and so, which means six people out of the you know sixty plus voters thought they might be a top twenty five team this year, and so, and and you know we saw them lose and we had to recalibrate the expectations. But I think one thing that Beeline does really really well is that he doesn't give up on players, perhaps to a fault at times, but in this case it meant a guy like Jaron Simmons can give you good minutes in the tournament because he didn't give up on Jaron Simmons even though it very easily could have. He didn't give up on Xavier Simpson when Xavier Simpson did not quite seem to be up to the task as far as Michigan's point guard of the future uh, last season. Michigan does not get this far without him, you know, and, and he took a chance on Charles Matthews. Charles Matthews is a very unbeeline like player. He, you know, when he came, he couldn't shoot and he turned the ball over a lot. And, you know, and I, I was talking to Charles about like his, his, he would go back and forth and say, coach, people turn the ball over. It happens, you know, 20 times a game in in basketball and beelines like not at Michigan. We're going to teach you not to be turnover Matthews. And, and so it's just one of those things. He doesn't give up on players. That's why these players keep getting better. He could have given up on Duncan Robinson. 
you know, and just said, okay, Isaiah Livers is our guy. Robinson, we'll see what you can do off the bench. Instead, you know, Robinson is, you know, became the team's hardest working defender. And so it's just, you, you go on and on and he doesn't give up on game plans. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't let up in film. They do film of walkthroughs. They do film of passing drills and warmups. They do film of the layup lines, you know, trying to, trying to find one way or another to get better. And, and eventually it, it added up. It, I mean, it really added up. And, and so, so that's kind of my lasting impressions. And, and Steve, you alluded to it. Uh, I, I think on paper 2012 is better. I think on paper, technically like, and this is where we might want to discuss some of this. Cause like, I think our, our rating system, uh, puts a premium on, on uh, your positions of need. And so Michigan doesn't lose a lot. So I think their recruiting score is lower because of, uh, you know, they're like, oh, they don't technically need a small forward or whatever. I think that's what how our site works. And so, but still, I mean, they have five players at five positions. Dave DeJulius at the one, Adrian Nunez at the two, Ignis Brzdykas at the three, Brandon Johns at the four, Colin Castleton at the five. And uh, Brandon Johns... And Ignis Brzdykas and David Julius, I think they're they they're going to be ready in year one. I, Nunez might want to develop. We'll see what he brings to campus. And then Castleton, uh, he's kind of got that Dylan McCaffrey. You know, he's he's a couple hundred hamburgers away from from being ready to really make an impact in the Big Ten. But you know, a talented player himself. I, I his game's kind of a combo of DJ Wilson and Mo Wagner. To be honest, like he can shoot the three, he can block shots. He's got like an offensive uh like almost like a like a, it's like he thinks on a different level he'll do those behind the back passes <laughs> that are, that are really hard to defend uh that look goofy when Mo Wagner does them but they work and so so Steve we'll start with you uh kind of you can touch on the recruiting class you can touch on who's coming back but your expectations for next season so real quick I went back I just <clears throat> was clicking you talk about Michigan being we'll say like we'll say they're fourth in NBA production and since what was it 2013 you said yeah right? yeah they had one five-star according to the composite and that entire period it was Glenn Robinson the third who really when he committed to Michigan was only I think like a high three low yeah. four yeah Duke Duke signed seven five-stars in 12 13 and 14 alone <laughs> yep and then, of course, we know that in 18, they I think they literally signed the top three players in the country. Yeah. Yeah. They signed, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> to, to, you know, you look at that that pure talent discrepancy, at least as, least as far as coming right, coming right out of high school, uh, just says the world about not just the fact they've done it, but how they've done it. Uh, you know, Rockman was a two-star, according to the composite. Yep. I mean, that's just, again, another – feels like every year you know like who's going to be next is that guy that lowly recruited who's yeah oh yeah (laughs) right so um you know to me my biggest thing coming into next year recruiting wise is you know brazdikas is such an interesting he's a lefty gives them something offensively i think you know maybe not that they've been lacking but we'll just give them a totally kind of different look offensively i agree with those that say that DeJulius is underrated. I think uh, he's a guy that, you know, I, I think I was just read an article where his coach said that uh, 
Fred Wright Jones is the only other player he's ever coached who has that work ethic. And I believe Zach, you did a feature on. Yeah. Fred, Fred Wright Jones, Jones is like, I mean, you know, he was, he was probably too short and doesn't have a, you know, the athleticism to be a scholarship player, but he had a Gates scholar. I think it was a Gates scholarship. He, he gets a full ride at Michigan academics all the way through his PhD. Right. Cause he worked because, so hard in the classroom. Exactly. You know, so to, you know, I know coaches always kind of, fluff up their own players. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, you're going to, I mean, he's going to Michigan. It's not as if he's not a great player already, but, um, you know, just his ability, you combine that with the work ethic that his coach says he has. I think there's a lot of intrigue there. And then Brandon Johns, obviously, I think is a perfect fit uh, for what Michigan's trying to do. So those three guys, especially, yeah, I think are guys that could make an immediate impact right away. Again, I just think uh, Iggy is, is a just, kind of one of those guys that could be a difference maker for them in the end. I think he's got the ability to score that, uh, you know, they haven't had at that. Th- I don't know. He's just got a really unique game. You guys have seen his film. I just am really intrigued with him. I think the sky's the limit for him. Could be kind of one of those guys that puts him over the top, in my opinion. Because, yeah, you know, remember at the beginning, this wasn't supposed to be the year. It was supposed to be right. next year. Right. You know, because of they're bringing in these guys and now they're bringing in these guys, you know, I think the easy expectation is that pool is really going to take off in year two. I think he's going to, you know, I think he's got all American potential eventually, especially if he decides to put it in. If he puts the work in on the defensive side of the ball where they can keep him on the floor for a long enough periods of time. I mean, he's, Look at what he can do in the lane too, right? I mean, he's he's his he's sort of a shooter by trade, uh, but as we saw in the tournament, you know, he's very adept at getting to the basket. You know, he kind of reminds me of uh, Lavert in that. You remember when Lavert was a little bit younger, was just mm-hmm. kind of raw around the rim. You could see it what he was doing, but he just couldn't quite put it all together. Uh, he really reminds me of you know maybe a better shooting. Karras, you know, maybe Karras probably a little bit better in well, the Karras, lane. Well, Karras, it was his defense that got him on the court as a freshman. Right, so, so, right. so, but I agree with you though. And and honestly, well, that Final Four speaking. game, I think people really overlooked that Jordan Poole was like the guy, like the Loyola Chicago game. Their offense kind of looked like it did against Northwestern, where it was like no one was stepping up to the plate and making an outlier play. Well, Jordan Poole gets to the rim a couple times, and suddenly they've got the crowd back in their favor. They've got some mojo going. I mean, he's got a mentality. You know, all American. It might, you know, I said it and I, wh- I whistled, and it seems far off, but I guess you're right in that. Like, he has that game takeover ability already, and now he just has to work on the mental lapses. Right, and they have the piece. There'd be other pieces around him too, you know, to to allow him to thrive. It's not like it's going to be just him, you know, that he's gonna. It's not like he's a guy that's going to be carrying this team by any means. I mean, they 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 have plenty coming back, so and coming in. And, uh, you know, so he's not going to have to shoulder the whole load. So I think that, yeah, because he has that takeover ability, you know, he's kind of a weird combo of a lot of the guys. He's kind of got that, you know, that I know the swagger thing was beaten to no end throughout the run. <laughs> yeah. But, but he does kind of the, that's that's a little bit he's got a little bit of that Stoskis. He's got kind of a quirky personality, a la like McGarry. And I think a lot of his skill set, uh, as we just said, is is a lot like Levert, at least on the offensive end, right? So mm-hmm. I, he's kind of a weird combo of, like, the guys that Michigan has sort of built this program with, in my opinion. So, uh, 
Well, and the team responds to him. Like, like I did this story over the, uh, in, in San Antonio. He's, you know, there were players who were seriously telling me that he could be a captain next year, which is so weird because I think there's been a lot written about how him and Beeline clashed early and it was kind of a, they had to like kind of settle him down or, or reel him in a little bit. Um, and, but like he, he really matured and, and I, you know, he, he, Xavier Simpson, Charles Matthews took the loss the hardest on Monday. I mean, you know, you go in the locker room and you see them really, you know, sad and beat up and everyone's sad. Of course, uh, that you, if you're not sad, you need to check your pulse, um, in the, in that setting. But, but he was someone, I mean, he seemed to like really mature and become a leader and really buy in. And so I think that's, if you're if you're not a Michigan fan, that's kind of a scary thought is that you're looking at this team and you're thinking, wow, if if things click for him, if Isaiah Livers becomes more of a of a scoring threat or or honestly him and Brandon Johns, I think they'll battle for that position. And it's kind of whoever is going to produce more of what Michigan needs from that position, because Beeline does have a history of not really dialing up the four that much. Glenn Robinson, uh, DJ Wilson, you know, a lot of a lot of guys who it seems like they would go dark at times. And that was because Michigan's offense just wasn't running through them. But, you know, if they defend, if they can be, you know, presence inside and out, uh, I, I like that position. I, so it, let's, let's, let's refocus here, Steve. What is your, what would be your bar? Like, where would you rank them uh, heading into next season, both in the big 10 and then nationally? I, I think they're a borderline top 10 team nationally, Big Mm -hmm. 10-wise. You know, I don't think enough people are talking about Wisconsin next year. Maybe they did get some pub. I don't know. I just know Wisconsin had a lot of injuries, and they were actually playing some pretty good basketball. They were playing good basketball late. I think they lose half, though. Okay. So, Oh, did he leave without an agent? I didn't think he signed with an agent yet, though, did he? Wasn't he just testing Uh, the water? Yeah, but... I would imagine he goes. Um, okay, well, if he's gone, then yeah, I guess that would change it. I assume that he was coming back. I don't. He's kind of like a pro, like has like a, those YMCA. He's like a really good YMCA moves guy. I honestly, I promise, I don't mean that like in a bad way at all because he was the most sound post player I think Michigan played against all year. Um, but I aren't they the favorites? I mean, you really think Michigan State loses Bridges and and Jackson and and you know, do they really bring in anybody that's well? They're technically uh, bringing in a better recruiting class than Michigan. And it's the same number of people. It's just slightly higher ranked. It's semantics, but but they'll be they'll be good. Um, but so you have Am them. Do you have Michigan number one in the Big Ten though? I mean, you can certainly a case to be made there. I I, I think I do. I mean, I why not? Yeah. Look at what how they just we just got done talking about their track record uh, over the last however many years, and they bring back a lot of guys. Okay, I'm seeing Michigan State's class. I forgot about Gabe Brown's gonna be a really good player, but um, we've had him on the no, podcast. I, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> former, yeah, former Wolverine 24/7 podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Gabe Brown. Yeah. Um, no, I do. I got. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I think they're. I I would okay. take them as the early favorites in the Big Ten next year. All I don't right. see why not. Uh, so, Isaiah, sorry, we had to. Yeah. We had to. We had to mute you because because you were the there. There was people around you that were making too much noise. But your thoughts on on next year, the expectations, and and touching on recruiting, touching on who's returning. I guess uh, what where you put them. 
Uh, I, I agree with Steve that I think that they should be the prohibitive favorites in the Big Ten, just considering every, you know, you, you lose a couple key pieces, obviously, but I, I want to kind of go back to that Jordan Poole, the Jordan Poole comments where I was trying to weigh in earlier there was, uh, he does, he, he seemed to kind of become the heartbeat of the team in many ways. Yeah, it's uh, very Andrew Dockett's like in a, in a weird well, way. It, but like, not, you know, not even just on like the, not just even, you know, being like a cheerleader for, you know, for, you know, the guys that are out there, but you look at, you know, like at that Loyola game and how he came in and, and, you know, was the one who provided the spark. Even in the national championship game, it, it kind of felt like for a minute, like maybe that was going to be the case while everyone was struggling to score there at the end of that. You know, when you started getting into the latter half of the of that first half, all of, all of a sudden you had Poole, you know, slashing and driving to the basket, making these, you know, very non-freshman-like plays. They were, you know, highlight reel-like mm-hmm. layups where he's doing like, you know, going through like three or four defenders and then, you know, you know, going back, you know, down the baseline and then having like a reverse. I mean, those are the types of things that you don't expect to see a first year player doing in a national championship game. You know, that's, that's what you expect maybe from one of your veterans that's been there before uh, from, you know, Rockman, who obviously did have that capability, especially down the stretch. So when you couple that with, especially with some of these guys they're bringing in, I see a lot of complaints about Xavier Simpson's offense. Obviously, he didn't have the offense that he did late in the regular season and during the Big Ten tournament. Uh, he he just didn't seem to have that capability like he did in that stretch. But that's where it's going to be interesting because they'll be able to have that balance because you, you'll you'll still have that defensive bulldog in Xavier Simpson. And whether whereas this past year you're trading – you're trading him for Jerron Simmons or Eli Brooks, who we have to remember also Beeline did say that uh, going into the final four, Eli Brooks had that one practice and he said he was probably the best shooter they had on the floor during that practice. So he's no slouch either. And he returns, but then you bring in a guy like DeJulius who is as far as at the high school level, and we'll see how it translates once he gets to play in college and against big 10 competition. But, an obvious score, a guy that can can be your Trey Burke type of, you know, we really need points right now, and you can trust your point guard to get it. Right now, Michigan does has not had that. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not trusting Xavier Simpson to to put the team on his back offensively, defensively, yeah. absolutely, offensively, no. And now they'll have those options to be able to go and say and say like, all right, now we need some stops. We can ha- we can rely on Simpson. And then they can go the other way and say, now we need points. Now we can rely on the Julius, or we can rely on, you know, some, you know, maybe Brandon Johns is another guy that ends up doing that. Uh, having a big body in, in Rizikis is also that's they, they they'll have so many more options. It's amazing how much deeper they actually become with this class. And will we see more contributions from some of these other guys? I mean, look at the jump from last season John Teske to this season John Teske it's really unbelievable especially you know late in the game I I just remember thinking about this time last year and how soft he looked a lot of times under the basket when it's like you're all right dude you're 6'1 or sorry 7'1 you're (laughs) 250 pounds 
go up and go hard, go strong. Like no one's going to be able to stop you. Instead, he'd always settle for the layup. And by the end of like the Big Ten tournament, you see him dunking over Isaac Haas. So, like, is, how much better is he going to be? Are we going to see more Austin Davis going forward in, in that same light? Is he going to take that jump? Yeah, Big yeah, Ten so, big men. There's a history there of Big Ten big men. Utah, Kaminsky, um, I'm blanking now, but there are other guys who it took until junior year, but they had these big bodies, and then once they kind of got up to speed, they were they were playmakers. And if I'm not mistaken, Austin, I think we, we were talking a lot more in the preseason before the season actually started about about uh, Davis being potentially that guy more so than Teske, and Teske's the one who kind of ran with it. I could be mistaken there, but that's kind of what I, I think, how uh, I was feeling. Going honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I think we might have drank the redshirt Kool-Aid, and that is something to always keep in mind. But, you know, the redshirt player, the guy in practice that no one sees in games is like this, you know, really tough matchup. It's it's a common coaching thing. But he does have, I mean, he's a natural rebounder. I think he's got... You know, I think he's 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 really drawn to the ball, and he's got this big body that's that's getting. I mean, he's like San, Sandman, John Sanderson, the strength coach, who's done wonders. That's his favorite guy to work out with. That's his guy, mm-hmm. Austin Davis. So I mean, he's you know, it's it's just a matter of you know getting him fast enough, getting him in tune with the game, so that he's you know, because you're not going to defend a guy like Isaac Haas straight up, but you can defend him straight up if you read that they're going to pass to him in this in this particular way and then you're already on top of him so well and here and here's the thing that's that's why why i think michigan should be the prohibitive favorite in the big 10 now now especially with all those points considered if they can get the offense back to being what you expect to see from a beeline offense and they were still very good they I, i'm not sure where they finished in ken palm but i know they were about 30 31st 33rd yep going into the national championship game somewhere in those, you know, the high thirties, you get, you get it back to where Michigan's one of the top offenses in the country. They've already got the defense rolling, especially with, it's amazing the job that, that Yaklich has done. And it, it, it just, they were already doing it with stellar offense. You add defense to the mix. I mean, defense is what carried them all the way through the tournament. Now imagine if you see one of those vintage, vintage beeline offenses, the ones that have gotten them to the Final Four before, to the Elite Eight, multiple Sweet Sixteens. You, if you see that with the defense, I mean, they could be a, that Villanova type team because that was the thing that was Villanova really excelled on the defensive end as well in that in that that championship game. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine Michigan being on the other side of that and being like they had been in the past, where it's like, well. How do you stop that offensively? Then what you know? What are you going to do? It, it's there's really no other team aside you know in the in the Big Ten aside from just historically saying Michigan State. And I know they bring in some some great guys this year and everything, but clearly like their core wasn't as strong as they thought it was. And Michigan brings back so much going into next year that it's it's got to just be really exciting to think of what the, where this team can be next year the year after and just really honestly going forward yeah i'm gonna be that guy i'm gonna pump the brakes um but i i, I do agree you know if if things click and and like certain growth happens you know this this can be a top five you know uh very 2014 like 
team where all of a sudden you've got you know maybe you lose your your uh your de facto leaders like mo wagner and muhammad ali abdul rahman and duncan robinson but then all of a sudden these young guys come in and they're they have an accelerated path because they know what it takes and they know how hard they have to work. So if, if that happens, they certainly can. I would keep an eye on Maryland. Uh, I know they lose Justin Jackson, but they recruit exceedingly well every year. Uh, I, I I assume Bruno Fernando is probably going to stick around for another year. They're going to be a pretty good team. Uh, and I in th- last, I mean they they almost they were like an outside tournament team despite losing, you know, two or three of their top four players to, to injury. I mean, and so so I think I'd keep an eye on them. I think Iowa brings everybody back. I know they weren't weren't worth doo-doo this season, but they almost beat Michigan. They bring everybody back. Penn State brings a lot back. Uh, Purdue and Wisconsin, I think you're just, just like Michigan State, they're always going to be pretty good. Indiana, I think quietly will be a better team. I think people perpetually forget about Ohio State after the past two seasons, and they lose Kata Bates Diop, but like you know, he turned that Ohio State team into this Ohio State team. And then I do think Michigan State probably I'll probably get beat up on this in the in the comments. I would give them a slight edge because Cassius Winston, uh, you assume Nick Ward is still around, uh, maybe not, but uh, you know I think I think Langford I think there's still a future for him. I think it just is taking some time. Bingham, I, I really like him as a prospect. And so I think you can go down the list. Anyway, it's going to be, to me, Michigan and Michigan State are probably about even because, as you as you said, Isaiah, you know, to Julius, he's described as a pit bull too. He just does it on the offensive end a little bit more. And, you know, Jordan Poole, and I, I would imagine they probably move Eli Brooks to the two because uh, they, they, were, they were working him there a lot uh, before the season began before they realized, like, hey, he's got a little bit of a point guard mojo to him, too. But I would imagine they move him to the two. So that's, the, the, you know, you like that position. I, I, you know, and you can go down the list. Matthews, Brisdykis, better than what they had this season. And then, you know, Johns, Livers, I really like that combo. A couple of Saudi Washington recruits uh, actually developing under Washington. That's probably a good sign. And then center, you know, we'll see what Mo Wagner does. Mo Wagner, to me, you know, he makes them a top five team if he's back. And and I think right now that I would probably put them around the 12 to 15 range if, if he's not back. Uh, real quick, we got a question from Neil. We love getting questions on Twitter. You can always tweet at me, underscore Zach Shaw. Um, assuming Wagner leaves for the NBA, starting five next year is probably Simpson, Poole, Matthews, Livers, Teske. Yep, that sounds fair. Between this year's holdovers and incoming recruits, who are the top three bench players next year? I don't know if you guys want to weigh in. My personal thought would be uh, Brooks because he knows what's going on a little bit. DeJulius because he's got we, – we just talked about him. Actually, nope, I messed that up. Yep. I would probably say Johns, Brisdykis, DeJulius. But I, I really – I don't think Brooks is, is too shabby at all. And honestly, I mean, the two schools that wanted him the most – they were playing in the championship game Monday night. So there's obviously right. a lot to his game that, that we haven't seen yet. I saw him a lot after the games this season, just working on his shots. I think it was just, it was just something where, I mean, he was at a town of like 1100 people, like a little paper mill town. And I think, you know, all of a sudden you know, you get, you get people tweeting at you or you're criticizing you or whatever. And, and it can get exhausting, especially you know, we Derek Walton and Trey Burke told us they didn't learn the system until they were in November of their sophomore year. 
that was when they feel, felt comfortable in Beeline's offensive system. So uh, I don't think a jury's out on him. So that'd probably be my four. Steve, any anything you want to weigh in on there? Uh, I disagree. I, I think Brooks will be one of the three. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd probably go Brooks, Johns, uh, Brasdikas. Sure, yeah. As my three. Um, I, I think Brooks is kind of one of those guys I think will eventually – he might be that guy who figures it out guy at some point from Michigan that we'll end up looking back on as a, uh, you know, stud yeah. to some extent. I think he's got a lot of that moxie that Rockman kind of has as far as like that, you know, from when I would deal with him when he was a recruit, which wasn't a ton, but was probably more than anybody else they signed. Uh, just very uh, even keel, a uh, low key kind of guy. You know, you know he's been watching film since he was eight years old. Like his yeah. game film, yeah. Well, because I think his dad was his high school coach, yep. right? Just so like another Abdur Rahman parallel. There you go. Yeah. I, mean, I said that without even realize, without even you know remembering that part. Uh, you know, I think there's some similarities there. Not, you know, I think what Rockman's a little bit taller, you know, a little longer. But I think intangibles wise, I think there's a lot of similarities between between the two players. I uh, and yeah, knowing, you know, we look at what Nova did. You know, Jay Wright wants a guy. Jay Wright mentioned it. He said, I'm probably not allowed to say the guy's name, but, uh, you know, he's going to have a bright future at Michigan. Yeah, (laughs) so that's, you know, about as high a compliment as you're going to get, you know, in in that type of situation. So um, so I'm going to go with Brooks for one of my three. And and, but, you know, that's the thing with that with this incoming class there's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah, anyone anyone you want to add? Um. I mean, we've already mentioned the three. I, I think it's going to be Brooks, DeJulius, and uh, Johns, okay. personally. I think those are going to be the, the three. I, I Just to, to talk on Johns for a second, I just, he, it, to me, he just, he, he just, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that he's ready. That's just kind of maybe me surmising, but he has the look of a guy he lo- who's going to be able yeah. to come in and make a very early instant impact. He, he just kind of screams like, in that sense that he's going to be able to not just be a solid bench player, but a guy that can come in, have really significant minutes and, and really make a strong impact in his first year and look kind of like a veteran doing it. If he can, you know, buy in and work hard once he, once he gets here, Uh, he's got the body for it already. And he just, I I just think that I can see a, a situation where he could actually be, you know, just as, if not more beneficial than the freshman we saw this year. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I noticed one, none of us mentioned uh, center, Colin Castleton. You know, we kind of talked about it. he's kind of thin. Austin Davis, not quite sure if, if he was going to take a step. I think it would have to come uh, this summer. And maybe you do get Wagner back, but, but that will be one to watch because Teske, I mean, Beeline does not like to play his centers more than, you know, 25, 28 minutes a game. He likes to... He likes to have guys fresh down there for those physical battles. So something to keep an eye on, and and we'll see. You know, I know they they said I, Livers was the third string five heading into the final four and in the NCAA tournament this season. So so we'll see. Maybe they maybe they decide to go small or something. But uh, probably enough talk about basketball. I think we could probably do a couple hours on it. But I think we all agree future is bright. I think we all expect the team to be a top 15 team next season and a little bit more of a November, December team than like, you know, heading into the season, we said 
They're going to have more defense. They're going to have more depth. But they, it's going to take them a, a month or two to figure out the offense because they were losing three of their top four scorers. So, so I, we think that they'll be a little bit more ready to go. I'm also curious to see who they play in their in their non-conference scheduling or uh, what tournaments they have lined up. I don't know if they actually have one lined up yet. So uh, we'll see. Obviously, any basketball news, we'll make sure to discuss it here. But let's talk a little bit of hockey before we get into football and because they're playing in the Frozen Four tonight. And I know we get a lot of Friday listeners, so if you are a Friday listener, just skip ahead for five minutes. Uh, but talking about Michigan versus Notre Dame in the Frozen Four, uh, personally, I mean, one, this is a very, very intriguing matchup because Michigan, the Big Ten was so stacked this season. Michigan's 22 and 14 and, and three, which doesn't you know, jump out the eyes, but there were five top 15 teams from the Big Ten this season. Uh, four made the NCAA tournament. Minnesota kind of got hosed by the system a little bit. And then Wisconsin teetered off toward the end. But, you know, loaded conference that produced three frozen four teams. And and I think Notre Dame's the best one. I mean, they won a lot of Big Ten games. They won the conference very early, like three weeks early. They won the tournament. Uh, they did have home ice, so that certainly helps. And then... But they are really good. Kale Morris, All-American uh, goaltender. You know they have a lot of NHL draft pick guys. They're not. They're not. Uh, you know they're not like a lot of teams that do well in the NCAA hockey tournament, like a Minnesota Duluth that has a couple NHL guys, but really just has a bunch of old big dudes. You know who played a long time in the junior circuits or in the USHL. Uh, you know they're they're a younger, flashier team. I think this is kind of like their their apex because they were in the frozen four last season and they were a top five team all year this year number two team in the country so michigan's gonna have to beat them you know michigan tech you know it's it's very impressive that they made it to the frozen four this is not to take away from that but they didn't actually beat a team that was seated higher than them they beat northeastern in in bought in the massachusetts area so that's that's worth noting but you know northeastern had some flaws after outside their first line and then Boston U doesn't play the most disciplined hockey in the world, you know, and they had a lot of talent, but they were kind of, they're kind of like a Kentucky team in basketball that's super loaded and maybe struggles throughout the season because they're so young and then things click just enough for them to get into the tournament. Uh, I'm trying to think which Kentucky team that was that did that maybe like 2015 or something. But anyway, so this is going to be a tougher task for Michigan. I do think it will be, better that they're not playing a Massachusetts team in in its home state uh that that certainly will help but the Wolverines are gonna have to bring it and it's gonna have to be more than their first line their first line was excellent two weeks ago but it's gonna have to be you know this is a game where you know a guy like Jake Slaker or uh you know your 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 Pastioff brothers or Dakota Raby or Jack Becker or you know your defenseman you know or, or Josh Norris if Josh Norris plays like a first-round NHL draft pick this weekend, you might be looking at, at some hardware coming Michigan's way. And and maybe that's unfair. You know, he is a freshman. I think it, it, it's unfair to expect every freshman draft pick to play like a Dylan Larkin did. But but there's a lot of players where Michigan, if if their guys click, they can win this game. Notre Dame has not won by more than one goal in in a few weeks and they, they are they are vulnerable they are not the this dominant offensive scoring machine 
they score a lot of goals because they're in a lot of positions to score a lot of goals. You know, I think they get a lot of empty netters, a lot of uh, a lot of situations where the team, where the other team is, you know, putting their foot on the gas, and then Notre Dame sneaks by them, gets a goal. And but but man, Kale Morris is tough to beat. It, he's just very 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 tough to beat. I, I still remember that in February 18th, I believe it was, when they played in Ann Arbor and Kale Morris stopped like, you know, 39 shots. Michigan just got the one. So it might be one of those games where Michigan's gonna have to play perfect, and Hayden Levine's gonna have to really uh, crank it up and play one of the best games of his career. And maybe he's ready. You know, maybe maybe he is. So so curious to watch. Um, uh, yep, we'll be covering it. I already have a few stories. Interesting thing about Notre Dame, Michigan was swept by them back in January, but that was like the, when they realized that they were good enough to play anybody because they hadn't really played well all season. They snuck a couple wins here and there, but there wasn't a game where they were like, this is really what, what we can do and we can be a NCAA tournament team. They didn't necessarily have that yet. And they had two games like that, even though they lost, they gave up a couple power play goals uh, but they outplayed Notre Dame arguably that weekend, and then that sparked this 12-4. I'm sorry, 14-4 and one run that they're on right now. And then back in February, they swept Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame they had just won the Big Ten title, so they might have been a little, a little hungover from that. But they swept them, and that that really supplanted Michigan as a team that that nobody wanted to mess with, and a team that was in the NCAA tournament. And then some, you know, they were they got to be a two seed this year, so that helped them get to the Frozen Four. So I'll be curious to to see, you know, because hockey is one of those funky sports where I mean there have been four seeds that have won the whole, you know, bubble, you know, bubble teams that have won the whole thing the past couple of years, and everyone can beat anyone. I think everyone in the country has at least seven losses. Uh, you know, Villanova never lost with their starting five healthy. They just never did, you know, and hockey's got a little bit more parity, a little bit more variety and result. So definitely, definitely worth the watch. Uh, definitely got some stories up about, I'll have one about Levine and probably by the time you guys all listen to this, um, I have stuff on, you know, what Notre Dame thinks of this, of Michigan's ascension and why that's so scary uh, about, you know, Michigan hockey. They they were really, I mean, Pearson's been in Beeline's ear for a couple weeks, you know, talking about how to, how to kind of replicate what Beeline does and translate it into hockey, and and so I think I think you're going to start to see more of this uh, March success that Michigan has had, and then also you know Michigan Michigan knows that uh, Notre Dame pretty well, and they know how to beat Morris. It's not to say that we'll do it all the time, and they know that penalties Michigan's got like one of the worst penalty kills in the country. It's kind of like Michigan basketball's free throw issue. Um, you know they know they've got this flaw, and that's really the only way Notre Dame's beaten them. I think Michigan stacks up well against them five on five. And so so we'll see. Definitely worth a watch. Nine thirty. I know Steve, you called me and you were already mad about how late the game was when we when we first, you know, had our had our pre show call. Stupid. Uh nine thirty PM Eastern time. ESPN two. Uh definitely worth a watch. I mean, you know, they've been to uh, what, one frozen four in the last decade in twenty eleven, also in Saint Paul. Uh so you know, you would think that it's going to keep happening. We'll have more on hockey recruiting down the road, uh, but you think that it would continue, but you just don't know. You just don't know. I mean, teams like Boston College think that they're national powers, or North Dakota, or Minnesota. All three of those teams missed the tournament this year, so it's it's kind of a funky sport in that way. But that's also what can make it fun, and that's what gives them an opportunity 
to actually win a title, even though this season, kind of like basketball, did not look so great early, kind of looked like a wait-till-next-season deal, and now here they are, you know, two games away from a title. Anyway, we didn't get any questions about it, so so we don't have too much to discuss. Go ahead. I I do want to say... It, it's a lot of it is going to obviously come on to you're saying about the second line, which I agree with. They're going to need some some young guys to step up. But it's really, in many ways, at least defensively, it's going to really be incumbent on Hayden Levine not to give up a stupid you know a stupid goal. There's yep. times where you see him, you see you see him look every bit as dominant as you would hope. I know this is only his what second year. Yes, uh, yeah, he's a very well traveled goalie though i mean he he was like deferred i think is what we're gonna call it uh but he was told to keep playing in the junior leagues even though he was committed to michigan i think he had two extra seasons down there three total seasons so he's he's like 22 but he is a sophomore yeah it, it is going to be super incumbent on him to not have one of those lapses and it just seems like every game there's there's a lapse and sometimes it bites them and sometimes it doesn't and if if he can can look like he does in seventy five percent to ninety percent of every game he's in, that that will you know and do that one hundred percent this this particular series, but you know whether it just be this game, you know, and going forward to the, you know if they are you know fortunate enough to survive in advance, that will go a long way. To you know to allowing you know to allowing the you know I, I really want to see what the what the leadership looks like you know on the other side i want to see you know calderon and danks seem to really be working well together obviously well if they click i mean you know that's that's that was their bread and butter last two weekends ago you know i I don't mean Mm -hmm. to say like their first line's not enough but you you know you just don't know if you're going to get that every single weekend but they they have been playing extremely well along with cooper marodi well this could be their last go round too you know tonight could be yeah very very true you, you, you really want to see those two connect, but I really think it all is going to rely on on Hayden Levine really just, you know, buckling down, seeing the ice, and you know, being able to to make the stops when they when they come his way. Because there are those times where it does seem, you know, that the you get those lapses, the defensive lapses, and or I should even say offensive lapses more so, where they can't keep things on that other side of the blue line. As as you would hope, you know, you get you get they get the numbers, but they just make some kind of sloppy passes. That usually is what where you see see that lapse happen, where all of a sudden the the pucks come in the other way, and and Levine just doesn't seem ready for it. So if he can buckle down and and actually be ready for it and play with that mindset, then Michigan's got a good shot to advance. That they do. That they do. Uh, I know, I know. A lot of uh, the reporters are kind of, kind of hesitant to do this, but we're gonna switch to football because obviously that is that is the bread and butter of the Michigan fan base. Most Michigan fans are football fans first, and they do have spring practice. I know this is like the first year that I can remember, and I know last season it kind of got this way, but this year is the first year that I can really remember where spring practice was going on. And like, you know, you look on Twitter, you look on social media and people are talking more about basketball and hockey <laughs> because because they're having like historically good seasons. But football, uh, definitely still something worth talking about. Isaiah, you have been at these football availabilities. 
uh, while while we've been doing basketball, you've been there uh, pumping out tons of stories, getting getting insight from these players and coaches. Let's you know we'll talk a lot of football next week and the week after and the week after and all the way until December really. But what are three or five things Michigan fans should know, or, or what are three and five five impressions you've had so far uh, talking about talking with these teams and writing about the football team? Well, I'll start with the defense. Uh, that's the obvious strength of this team. They don't they don't lose a lot numbers wise. They obviously lose, uh, you know, are you know probably not even arguably just the best player overall on the team in Mulhurst. Uh, but the good news is it sounds like, and we had been hearing this coming out of uh, the end of last season, uh, you're hearing more and more about Michael Dwumfor really putting it all together, hearing about how his, his first step is just as quick, maybe just a shade slower than Mo Hurst, and, but that he's got that same level of violence. Things are really starting to put, it, put themselves together for him. Uh, he doesn't have the, the hype that Bo had most likely because he was coming in behind Mo. He wasn't coming in as often as Mo seemed to see the field. A lot of that's due to Dwumfor having had that injury uh, first game, his freshman year. Uh, but he seems to be putting that all together. The defensive line just seems completely solid. Uh, looks like they're, they're going to have another solid two rotations like they did two years ago, which has got to be really exciting, especially when you consider – how it looks two years ago when you had the the you know Wormley, Godin, Glasgow, Charlton line you know supplanted by the uh, by the Gary Winovich, you know Hurst and Monet line, and you would see see that Winovich you know in his first year of being a defensive end was able to you know be second in sacks, really you know have a penchant for getting in the backfield, and. I would say, with the exception of Rashawn Gary, who obviously was the number one consensus recruit in the country as a true freshman, Michigan has a little bit more seasoned talent now uh, coming in on that second line. Hearing a ton about Quiddy Pay. Uh, Quiddy Pay would have played a lot more last year if uh, Chase Winovich wasn't. If he, if he wasn't. Leading uh, the Big Ten in 10 different categories. Well, it wasn't even that. He didn't want to ever come off the field. Think about that Purdue game. And yeah. It was 95 degrees outside. I was having a hard time keeping it together as a sideline photographer because it was so hot. Winovich played every down. So <laughs> That's true. It, you, you know, you got guys like that hearing more and more about, uh, about guys like uh, Lawrence Marshall, who started, started off really strong last year, had that big play in the Florida game had a really strong fall camp. They said he just kind of fell off. His concentration didn't seem to be there, but until, again, started getting into bowl prep. and You know, he he's, looks like a monster out there as far as his size is radically different. He's, he's completely transformed himself. Um, so they, they're going to have a really solid rotation. We're hearing about how Aubrey Solomon is basically like a grizzled veteran, and he's only going into his second year. He didn't even have a spring with Michigan last year. He came in as a mid-year. So that's solid. The he didn't have a depth, spring last year. Well, he, he came in as a mid-year. So in June. He was, yeah, he came in in June. Wow, and he had that impact. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Okay, so, continue. So then you look at the at the linebacker depth. You lose Mike McCray, uh, but 
Devin Gill is a guy that they're really, really excited about. Uh, obviously, he, he got the first chance when um, he actually started to that Florida game because of a, there were some equipment issues at the beginning of the game for Mike McCray, and they opted with Devin Gill. He didn't see him a ton, but he's a guy that Don Brown mentioned a lot in bowl prep, and he's mentioned him again uh, several times uh, this this spring as being someone he wants to look out for. Josh Ross uh, and Jordan Anthony and Drew Singleton, uh, obviously only Ross got to play uh, last year on special teams, but he drew rave reviews from Harbaugh, you know, all last year and all, you know, and even this spring, but they've, they've got some bodies there as well, where they, again, they didn't really have the depth uh, at linebacker, but they had way more athleticism. Now you're going to have to see both. Uh, so that's really exciting. Secondary looks pretty much the same, uh, which is solid considering they were the number one pass defense. You're going to see a little bit more of uh, guys like Jamaric Woods and Jalen Kelly Powell's now sticking straight with safety uh, for the most part. I mean, he's still getting some some time at nickel and everything, but last year they were they were putting him in at straight corner for a while, splitting him out wide. Now they're they're keeping him more inside. So. All in all, they're playing a lot faster even than they were before, which is pretty impressive considering how good they went uh, defensively from being the uh, being the number one defense overall to be, you know, being the number third, replacing 10 guys that were technically, you know, 10 new starters technically. Uh, pretty amazing feat that they had last year. And, you know, now they've got a chance to even improve upon that. I mean, you look at you look at all, all those guys coming back. You, you have to imagine that Levert Hill, David Long, could be even better, which is really astounding considering that they were two of the, you know, maybe the two top corners in the, the entire conference. And you know, PFF had them as being uh, top corners in the entire country as far as opposing passer rating when targeted. So that's pretty pretty phenomenal. Go to the other side of the ball, offense. Uh, it, it, you know, I know a lot of eyes around the quarterback, but for me, I'm, I'm looking a lot at the offensive line. We've had a bunch of stories the last couple of days about the offensive line. We talked to Ben Bredesen. Uh, we're going to talk to Ed Warner tonight, but his addition, I think, is is just really, really crucial for this team. Uh, known as one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. I, I know his stint at Ohio State as offensive coordinator wasn't exactly what people w- would have wanted, but you look at all the talent that that uh, Ohio State was able to coach up with Warner at the helm, and everything that they were able to do with uh, with guys that weren't necessarily, I don't think they were necessarily considered to you know have the that top offensive line talent. They started bringing in more and more, but Warner's one of those guys that can coach them up. I'm hearing really good early returns, uh, really good you know focus. They're practicing in individual drills with the. Uh, defensive line which isn't something that Michigan normally does and even heard Greg Madison say like that they're significantly more physical than he's seen this this unit be and that's super high praise coming from defensive coach like that and it was something that he offered himself it wasn't something like where we you know where we were like tell us you know how the offensive line is, you know, is doing, he could have just as well been, been, you know, like, oh, well, you know. Yeah, we know those questions. Just, How is the offensive line being more physical? The offensive line is yeah. being a lot more physical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he went on and on about how, about how how they look. Interior still looks, seems to, to look, be, you know, best 
Madison singled out uh, both uh, Bredesen and Cesar Ruiz as being the guys that are really, really showing really strong in this uh, this spring, uh, which is no surprise. I know they're they're really high on them. I think the question is going to be is who's going to take those tackle spots, and they're kind of moving guys around like you'd expect in the spring and. Uh, you got to hope for guy, you know, like Juwan Bushel Beatty is one of the guys that they've been playing with at left tackle, which shouldn't be much of a surprise, even though he was right tackle last year. But he came in at left tackle after initially after Grant Newsom's injury in 2016, and guys like him and Chuck Filiaga and uh, James Hudson, those are the guys that they're working with. Uh, we've heard Runyon's name mentioned quite a few times, both by defensive coaches and uh, offensive players, as being a guy who seemed to show something this spring. Uh, so you hope that they kind of put put that all together. Uh, but you also have a quarterback, obviously. That's your, Shea Patterson, Brandon Peters, Dylan McCaffrey. That's that's something that's obviously at the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, I did hear from – I heard from, you know, what one person off the record about how, you know, Michigan has, you know, a, a quarterback in some of those games, you know, that they – they probably win three of those five losses, and I definitely agree with that. I think that that was the offensive line really struggled to pass protect, but there were a lot of times where the quarterback just failed to make a play. And the thing that we're hearing about the quarterbacks is increased mobility. Uh, hearing that a ton uh, out of spring practice about how they're just way more active being able to move around when a play breaks down, uh, a lot more elusive. Uh, not that like Wilton. Obviously, we only saw Wilton for three plus games last year. Wilton could move, but not like these guys. So that's that's really exciting uh, to, to hear. Uh, one of the things that I've that we've also heard Harbaugh said it, and we've heard a couple other people say it as well about how true freshman Joe Milton. He's not a guy that we expect to see on the field this year, say for the spring game, but that he came in way more prepared than they expected. They didn't expect him to. They expect him to be something of a prototype. That he's supposed to be a bit of a project. I still see like a lot of people on the boards and on Facebook say that he, you know, they they hope that he could be a guy to see on the field this year. I'm gonna go ahead and caution people who wish for a true freshman quarterback to be the guy, especially with the amount of talent they already have. So, uh, but the fact that he's already making an impact that can help make the rest of the group better. Uh, which is good. Uh, running backs, they're talking consistently about being better at pass protection, but that's their, that's their main focus this offseason is, as Chris Evans put it, pass protection, pass protection, pass protection, pass protection, and pass protection. And a guy like Evans, he wants to be able to see the field as often as possible, and he knows that if in order to do that, he's going to have to be better at pass protection than he was a year ago. And, uh, you know, as, as long as they can continue to have that upward trajectory that we saw throughout the season. I mean, they still struggled against top defenses against Wisconsin, Ohio state. They weren't able to put together the yards on the ground that they were against Rutgers or uh, against Minnesota or Indiana. So, but it seems like it's starting to come together for that group. Wide receivers. The big thing is obviously you you need that experience uh, and hearing a lot about Donovan Peoples Jones and Tariq Black really starting to, take that step and being able to to be much better. I know Harbaugh said on his podcast uh, earlier this week that Peoples Jones is the best receiver that they have right now. Uh, that's got to be really encouraging. He seemed to really put it together as the season went along. It's just the ball didn't uh, come his way 
as much as you would hope. And when it did, uh, usually wasn't in his vicinity. So if you have that tandem of a quarterback that can get him the ball and, you know, people's Jones having that know-how now, I mean, considering how much of a raw talent he was, uh, that's really exciting to hear. And then tight ends, uh, I mean, they're, they're already a stellar group. Uh, Sean McCune had already, you know, led the, led the team in reception. Zach Gentry was a really big threat. Uh, those are going to be the, be the guys. We're really looking forward to hearing more. I haven't heard enough about yet about Eubanks and what he can do, but he's healthy now. So he's, I know he's, he's doing well, but it's those other guys that, uh, that have already stepped up to the plate that are starting to really show. One, one thing I, I had heard was about how, uh, how, how Gentry was some, something of a, of a raw talent and he's starting to come into his own. So I'm really excited to hear more and see more once the spring game comes along next week of how that kind of coalesces. Was that your three to five things? Well, I just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And, and, and that was good. Hopefully there are fewer questions and people, people who have been following basketball or hockey are, are now in the know. Uh, We did get one question kind of about football, kind of about what you're talking about. Actually, this one comes from Shane Majewski. And I actually like this question. Uh, it says, it seems like the defensive staff for football tells it like it is about their players as far as uh, how they are looking, progressing, regressing. What the offensive coaches say is more trying to build confidence or the traditional coach speak. And and he wants to know why that is. And And I like this question because I think it, one, I think there is something to it. Uh, but two, I think it addresses something that, that you and I and Steve as well have been very annoyed with lately. This whole thing that like Michigan just cannot talk about its offensive line until it beats Ohio state. And it cannot talk until it wins football games. And it's like every story, every football story we post, there's people out there who are like, uh, you know, stop talking, show it on the field or believe it when I see it, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. and that, that I actually don't think is wrong. You can have that thought, but this whole like, why is he talking when he should be just beating, focused on beating Ohio State? It's like, what in the world is he supposed to do? They have to. There's like a, a million Michigan fans that want to read about every single thing fan uh, the team does, and then they talk about what the team's doing, and and then they get all mad. So it's like, apparently, we're all supposed to retire until October when they're five and zero and they've beaten Notre Dame and they beat Nebraska. And they beat you know Wisconsin or whoever they whoever they play early on. It's it's just it's mind blowing to me. As for the offense defense question, uh, I think that is actually a, a little bit of a, a bias that fans have because you know Don Brown said Rashawn Gary can be the best defensive end he's ever seen last year, but because we had seen a little bit more from from Don Brown and we had seen a little bit more from you know Greg Madison pumps guys up. And they're a little bit more seasoned. They have a little bit more of a track record, right? Like Ed Warner can't come in here and be like, oh, you know, Ben Bredesen looks exactly like, I mean, I guess he could say this random Ohio State guy that fans probably forgot about. But, you know, I just think it's one of those things where it has been shown less, at least with the offensive line and the quarterback. You know, if they say Brandon Peters is really progressing, well, fans are not going to get over the fact that their last memory of Brandon Peters was him uh, struggling against South Carolina, 
So it's one of those things where I think it's a little bit of a bias because the defense has done better. So they might say the exact same things. And I'd be curious to look at the full quotes. But people will say, like, their reaction to defense is, oh, yeah, Don Brown really likes the way this guy's progressing. And then, like, the offense, it's like, oh, I can't believe, you know, Jay Harbaugh thinks this guy's going to be better at this already just because he's had two good practices. So, oh, it 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 grinds my gears. That's the... That's the phrase because we're not obviously not going to retire. Obviously, like, yes, they have to prove it on the field to an extent, but also they, they have to say something and they're certainly not going to like throw everybody under the bus and say like, oh, yeah, eight and five all over again until we prove it on the field. Like, I, I could go on and on. Isaiah, your thoughts to all this, because you, you're the one who I think gets the most of these mentions. And Steve, you definitely get the ones that are like. Oh, you know, like such and such offensive lineman interested in Michigan. Can't wait for him to commit and then flip and commit to somewhere else in next February or whatever. It's just ugh, on and on and on. It's, Isaiah, it's absurd. It's so it's so absurd. Uh, like like I mentioned on the one in the comments of uh, one of the offensive line stories from the other day. Like, <laughs> I understand if you want to wait and see. I think that that's but that's every season. It doesn't matter how good or how bad a unit was a year ago. They play games for a reason. They do these practices for a reason. It's they you, you can't just say, you know, they they they're not just going to say nothing when we ask them how, how are things looking. They they know they need to get better. Brent Bredesen even said, you know, like we know we were terrible last year. We we were determined to not be. And then that got you know, where that that's a comment that people should take and say, like, all right, finally a dose of honesty. Instead, we hear people trying to say the whole, you know. I can't believe they well, think they the have basketball. swagger. <laughs> the, 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 you like the basketball team. They were in these shirts that say, do more, say less. Which, by right. the way, the basketball team talks all kinds of smack. All right, that's yeah, just okay. that was just a shirt. Get out of here. <laughs> it's. What my, my my surprise was, you know, I'm I'm Facebook living at these events, and that's where you find a lot of really interesting comments. Uh, well, the we Facebook Harbaugh, commenters are on on a whole nother planet. We only get to Facebook Live Jim Harbaugh maybe three times a year because of Big Ten rules. We can't get him in the and yeah, traditional yeah, press because Big Ten Network has the has the yeah. And and we, we I you know we had him a couple weeks ago at the beginning of start of uh, spring practice on March 23rd. And I would venture to say a good third of the comments were people saying that Harbaugh needs to be gone because of last year's season and that he, he needs to go ahead and pack his bags and these fans will help him pack. And it's, it, I've never seen a bigger overreaction to an eight and five season. Was it, was it a good season? No. Was it a terrible season? Also, no. Wasn't, wasn't what, what fans would have hoped, but, Let's let's face facts here. This is an extremely young team that lost its starting quarterback. I know I know a lot of people were not big fans of Wilton Spate, but what did what did we on this year podcast say constantly last summer and early fall? Be careful what you wish for. Wilton's a lot better than you think he is. And when he went down, the team struggled mightily offensively. Yes, they were struggling before that, but they struggled even harder. And it's a little bit different now because now they have some, some young guys that can be here in practice and they can not, you know, now they're being going to get the lion's share of reps guys that weren't getting that last year. Brandon Peters was not the guy getting lion's share of reps in spring. 
because you, you, you rely on your veteran guys. That's just what you do. That's how it works. So it's just like, hey, everyone, chill out because <laughs> it's, yeah, you want you want to see them beat Ohio State. Guess what? They're going to have to work on those building blocks, things like spring practice, things like developing a swagger. Because you know what? What they're not going to, how they're not going to beat Ohio State if they just go, you know, go through motions, don't develop a swagger, don't come together and become a cohesive unit. They don't do any of that stuff. They're not going to beat Ohio State. No. There's zero chance of them no. doing that if they don't do those things that they're trying to do right now. So I understand you're frustrated, you're upset, you want Michigan to be better, but they're not going to become better by just essentially hoping. And they're not going to practice every single hour of every single day because guess what? That's against NCAA rules. Pretty <laughs> sure we all remember a certain practice gate that happened here under a former regime. So yeah. they're doing everything right right now. They've completely changed the coaching staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It looks world's different than it did two years ago so it's not like they're sitting with their you know the coaching staff sitting with their their hands under their asses or anything like that they're working tirelessly to fix this, these issues you already have a defense that's elite so what more do you want well that's that's the yeah. question they can't beat ohio they cannot beat ohio state actually on the field in april but they can put those building blocks in place right now well so it, yeah yeah. That's it. That's all I got. And and not to like numbers gloat, but like you know, and if you don't if you don't want to hear about the football team, don't read the stories. Like no one's no one's like going to your door and like telling is not right going to door to door and like telling you this stuff. It's it's stuff you can either click on or not. And and honestly, not to numbers gloat, but our numbers for football do extremely well. So and and and, and so is that's true for pretty much every publication. So until people stop reading about it, which is, you know, go ahead. Let's see what you can do. But until people stop reading about it, we're going to keep writing about it. We're going to keep asking them, and they're going to keep saying what's what's on their mind. And and I don't know. Steve, while we're all mad and worked up, uh, anything anything to add maybe from the recruiting side or from what you've seen from the commenters? Uh, Sorry, I took like a 25-minute nap there. I'm back now. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, no, it's just typical, kind of the same stuff we talk about. Like we're insecure fans who use the football team as a coping mechanism for their overall happiness. So they deflect and project those types of things to embrace the, their their deepest, darkest fears that Michigan won't improve this year. Uh, you know, up front because they haven't improved in years past. You know, I mean, fans by and large got what they wanted with Drevno out and Warner in, and yet many of them still refuse to even uh, believe the, the that the possibility exists that they're going to be a lot better this season up front. <laughs> um, so there's that whole thing, and you know, yeah, the the uh, yeah, believe it when I see it. Crowd, it's like you know, yeah, we could, yeah, why we'll just go on vacation until November. And then if they lose, we'll just retire. For good. And, <laughs> uh, there's really no reason to be here. Uh, you know, so, and here's the other thing I think fans just maybe refuse to accept the, the players want to beat Ohio state more than they do. Yeah. Um, you know, and people just, I don't think they are capable of re- some, again, I think a lot of times we give too much attention to the vocal minority 
But right. I just I think a lot of fans refuse to they can't wrap around their head that these players want it way more than than the, any fan you know ever would. There's pride, or there's the legacies. Yeah, no, <laughs> you don't think Harbaugh's right. spending like hours upon hours upon hours trying to figure out you know what to do. Yeah. Right, and I always think I always think Ohio State's been kind of the funny example because I, again, I we've said this I don't know how many times at this point, but I think schematically Michigan has out out schemed Ohio State uh, the last two years for sure, you know, and I don't think coaching is the reason that they lost, uh, especially this year, you know, and so uh, you know I think the players know that it's it's up to them. I also think it's really funny that a team that had what sixteen new starters. 18, year, 18 new 18, starters. Right. That Well, if you count special that, teams, sorry, it could be that 16. They yeah. That they don't want to accept that there are reports out there that some of these players are improving <laughs> in, their second, in their second year starting. Yeah. You know, like, so it's a lot of it's just kind of the same old, uh, you know, like I said, coping mechanisms for like insecure fans who invest too much emotionally uh, in their football team and don't really think rationally about things a lot. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the questions surrounding the team are, are the same that they have been. Uh, but again, I think, you know, everything we've heard regarding Warner has been positive. Uh, that's not like sunshine pumping. It's as I think Isaiah alluded to in one of his threads, it's not always the case that you're hearing good things about, assistant or just a unit or whatever uh but people people put that stuff aside and they forget about it when you say something positive about something because we're always kind of viewed as you know we only sell good news or we only you know promote good news and don't say anything bad when i mean i think last year every one of us did and should have been saying you know right tackle looks like a black hole this year it really could be the reason that michigan struggles and uh, outside of the them having to play their third best quarterback on their roster or to start their third best quarterback on their roster and, and what four of their five losses or yeah. three of the five for sure. Uh, outside of that, you know, it, it was right tackle that, you know, really let them down in a lot of situations. So, you know, it's uh, really kind of the way I look at it. Um, <laughs> I think it's partly, it's like, it can become taxing you know, to wade through repetitive, just BS from the same people every it, it, it Sometimes it can kind of makes it a little difficult to motivate you to want to discuss it or to write about it, you know, but then at the same time, it, it's also, it, once you rash, it's pretty comical, you know, because it's just like, it, can you imagine like being that sad uh, all, all the time and being that bitter because it's obviously it's carrying it's carrying over to other parts of your life. If you're, I always imagine people like like typing with one finger, <laughs> with their with one fingers each of their pointer fingers on the you know and angrily typing about that they're tired of us writing good things about the offensive line yeah. or optimism <laughs> regarding the offensive line. Um, when it just be you know that if they're as if they're going to be bad forever. Or as if we don't look at it like, yeah, we think that they have to prove it on the field because no, you know, no, no, duh. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Family like, podcast. You know, obviously, yeah. Obviously they have to prove it on the field. Right. But it's like, um, you know, like a guy like Bredesen, you know, he's, he's put everything he's got into this, you know, and it's like, um, so it just gets, 
you know, and those guys, they, they know it too. I, they brush the, the fans, the players also care much less about what the fans think than, you know, there's some guys I think maybe in the past have maybe tweeted a little bit too much uh, in post game situations or whatever. But I think by and large, I think most of these players uh, don't really, they don't tune it out necessarily, but they don't put a lot of stock into it. I think they look at it rationally like we do, where it's like, you know, when things aren't going right, you're just going to be a lot of unhappy people out there that want to take it out on players and the coaches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that typical, <laughs> typical stuff there. Hey, while we're on the subject of things that annoy me about football fans, stop asking if Shea Patterson is eligible. Because believe me, because if there is news, obviously there's going to be like a thousand stories about it. You will, you will, you could live under a rock and you would still get some push notification about Shea Patterson being eligible. I actually, I don't, I don't know why we haven't reported this. We actually found out about a month and a half ago that he is eligible. <laughs> it's just, it's we're breaking it here on this podcast. Uh, well, no, nobody on else this, on the podcast, which is nice. No. But like, oh, so we're we're gonna hold, we'll, we'll hold off until someone else. Asks but because we'll Go Blue Forever Fifty Two posted on the message board and said any word on Shea Patterson that's where we break the news <laughs> uh, sorry I get uh, well anyway we're on to football season now because because basketball is over hockey will be over after this weekend we'll see what they do uh, obviously stay tuned to the Michigan Insider for all updates and everything I've got a couple more stories about basketball I'm excited about uh, just with travel the radio and and hockey still working out a time to, to sit down and get them done right but so it should be some stuff over the weekend hockey man if they beat notre dame they're either playing ohio state or minnesota duluth in a rematch of the 2011 title game so so we'll stay tuned for that if they do win check it out tonight if you are listening before they play uh and obviously football stuff spring game in what nine days so yeah. so fun times ahead uh, looking forward to the offseason. I know we gripe, but as, as Steve mentioned, it is uh, more of a vocal minority. So keep on reading. Keep on sending us questions. Keep on discussing over at the Michigan Inside 247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. I hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time.